0: literally i sat up in the middle of the night i'm not even kidding and was just like rape jokes like i like said it out loud <laughs> into the ether
2: y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And that was stand-up comic, actor, director, podcaster, and, dare we say, queer icon, Cameron Esposito. Quite the multi-hyphenate. For real. And she was telling us about her new one-hour comedy special, out now on Vulture, called Rape Jokes. Like, like rape joke rape
0: jokes? Rape jokes. Here's a clip. When I think about survivors, the way that they're portrayed in television and film, especially if they're women, I feel like it's like she's assaulted and then she becomes like very good at swords. (laughs) Do you know the storylines I'm talking about? There's like a combat element. And that was not true for me. I say the same amount good at swords. expert. Although
1: Cameron has never shied away from taboo topics in her comedy, Rape Jokes is the first time she's putting her experience of sexual assault front and center. And she's not the only funny woman doing that right now.
2: Yeah. In fact, Rape Jokes are having a moment like never before. Me Too-inspired stand-up shows have been popping up and selling out across the country. And women and non-binary comics like Cameron are sharing their stories of sexual harassment and assault for laughs as well as relief. So today, we're going to talk about Rape Jokes. Like, a lot. We're doing it. About
1: rape jokes. And we're going to talk to Cameron a little bit more about her stand-up special, why she's calling it rape jokes, and what exactly she's getting at in it. And Caroline, you and I are also going to be doing some deep mining in the comedy vaults (laughs) and the history of rape jokes, because we want to find out, is the Me Too movement reinventing rape jokes? And if so,
0: how?
2: Since the rape joke genre is so saddled with misogyny, it might be kind of hard to see any value in the humor. So we first wanted Cameron to walk us through her
0: rape joke point of view as a veteran comic. All jokes have a formula, which is you talk about a thing, and then you talk about your emotional reaction to that thing. Because this is a field that has been historically dominated by dudes, sometimes I think we, we don't let men be... As emotional in our culture, so it's no it's no wonder that they gravitated towards comedy and humor because it's a coping mechanism where you get to roll out your emotions, but you do it in a safe way. Because like, oh, I'm just I'm just fucking around. <laughs> so all jokes are really emotional investment, your emotional response to a thing. And so for for a topic like like rape, I think that you have to take it with the emotional weight that it actually has. Know that whenever you take on a taboo topic, you have to respect it. You have to respect the concept. You have to respect the people.
1: After more than 15 years of performing stand-up, Cameron has heard countless examples of rape jokes that don't do that. For instance, in a 2014 essay about what it's like being a woman in comedy, Cameron wrote, It's to walk out on stage after the intro... We're really glad this next comic isn't raped and dead in an alley.
0: (laughs) That's real. That's a real intro I got. (laughs) Holy shit. How do you walk out on stage after someone has said
2: that?
0: I don't know. I mean, but, but then the other alternative to that, this happens to me way less frequently now because obviously I'm at a different place in my career. But when I was first starting out, I mean, it would be that or it would be like, this next comic won't have sex with me, and I can't figure out why, like th- like the number of people that told that joke, thinking they were the first person to tell that joke, like, oh my God, just stop it like you don't need to you don't need to sexualize me, uh you don't need to talk about my positioning in the world. just like bring me up, Caroline, notice how Cameron's not saying that rape jokes should just
1: die or disappear. she's just anxious for them to evolve already.
0: They are somebody saying, you know, the word rape and without, like, a ton of setup or a ton of punchline, sort of because it's a buttony taboo word, it gets a response from the audience. I have heard very little about um, focusing on survivors. I also usually hear people talk about rape as if it's something that's a topic and not something that has affected people that are actually in the room or even sharing a lineup with them. So, you know, when I came uh, at into comedy, I— It's the same thing as being a gay person. Like, so many times I hear straight comics tell jokes and they will use, like, they to talk about gay people. And that sort of connotes this idea of, like, well, gay people that are outside the room right now, I—so whether or not you're then going to follow that up with a homophobic statement or whether you're going to follow that up with a statement of solidarity, either, like, both of those things. Obviously, I prefer solidarity, but there's erasure involved in all of that. So it's like— We, the straight people in this room, think gay people are fine or think gay people are bad. We, the people in this room who've never been assaulted, think that rape is silly or think that rape is terrible but not anything that anybody in here has experienced. So I'm just trying to shift the lens and talk about it as if it is not a topic but as if it is a lived experience that it turns out a huge percentage of the population has reckoned with.
2: Yeah, Cameron's right. At least one in six American women has dealt with sexual assault, and she's one of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking honestly about calling it survivor jokes, but just doesn't have the right—just <laughs> doesn't have the same ring. Um, I mean, it's really an hour-long piece about—I mean, honestly, it's tr- trying to create compassion. So, like, let me tell you my story. That's really what it is, and it's Uh, This is not the story. There is no the story. This is a story. And for the details of Cameron's story, you should go watch her special. It's hilarious, a little heartbreaking,
1: and super compelling. In it, Cameron gradually leads up to an experience she had in college when she was legally way too drunk to consent, and a guy she considered a friend coerced her into having sex anyway. But it's not just that. She uses the hour— To put what happened in the context of growing up in a super Catholic home, totally unaware and disconnected from her queerness, not raised with any sort of sex education or real
0: sense of her sexuality. All of that factored into me not knowing I had agency over my own body. And, like, that's the specifics of my story. But I also know that so many people who are cultured female are left out of the conversation about their own Sex lives. It's like we are objects, not the subjects of our own lives, and we don't have desire, and we are to receive what the world gives us. And I, I really think, um, I just think that's a huge. I mean, maybe even like lifelong piece of work to do is to try to teach other women that they can make choices, and also queer folks that they can make choices. And obviously, survivors come in all types. So I'm just naming those folks because they're historically more at risk.
2: One important way Cameron conveys that message of agency to her audiences is by choosing to not rely on self-deprecation for laughs.
0: When I started in stand-up, I didn't see examples of out-gay comics who talked about what it was like to be gay and also didn't shit on themselves. And... I also started when gay folks were—I mean, we had no rights. Like, so—so I didn't think I needed to help anybody make us more shat upon. I felt like I needed to be somebody who was saying, like, no, I'm legit cool. You want to be me. You want to be friends with me. You want to get ladies like me. You want to have a haircut like I do. Like— Get on my, like, get on board. We're going. Like, that's what I, you know, it's very intentional. Very intentionally trying to do that. Cameron
2: wants her comedy to build other queer folks up. And as far as rape jokes go, she
0: really underscores their potential to dismantle rape culture. Let's, you know, take it down through comedy. Let's do some education through comedy. Because I think my field is, like, perfect for this. I mean, we, we always talk about like, oh, you can't joke about that. Of course, you can, talk, you can joke about any topic. Your lens has to be right and the jokes have to be good. So like, you know, if you're going to have uh, – if you're going to go after somebody who has less power than you, then you better have a really fucking good joke. Like it better be really fucking good because you're trying to clear – you're trying to thread a very tight needle. And then um, if you're going after somebody who has more power than you – but you're still taking on a taboo topic, then, like, make the lens your own, you know? Don't come out on stage with, um, I don't know, just, like, a dismissive attitude. I mean, comics take everything so seriously. We are such serious people. (laughs) Like, why why not take this seriously? To that, I say, challenge accepted.
1: You and I are not stand-up comics. However we are very good at taking taboo things seriously. Maybe a little too seriously considering we are now in the middle of a whole episode on rape jokes.
2: We love unpacking the taboo. So we're gonna dive deep into some rape joke history right after a break.
1: Caroline, I've got a rape joke for you. Oh, God. It's an old one. Like, okay. <laughs> like a like a really old one. Here, Caroline, is the most common rape joke of the 18th century. A woman prosecuted a gentleman for rape. Upon trial, the judge asked her if she'd made any resistance. I cried out. Ain't pleased your lordship, said the woman. Aye, said one of the witnesses. But that was nine months after. hi 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 aye, aye, And believe it or not, Caroline, that rape joke appeared in almost every Jest book for the next hundred years. Jest book, you say? Yes, Jest books. But as terribly unfunny as that rape joke is, it marks this fascinating moment in the 1700s when women's legal status is totally in flux. Like, finally, with the Enlightenment, it dawns on dudes in power that, like, maybe it's not such a cool idea that women are legally our property and that rape is a property crime committed against male relatives of the victim. But still, women rarely pressed rape charges because if the case went to trial, men were usually acquitted and women became the butt of the town's rape joking. In fact, rape trials became source material for jokes of the day, really as a backlash to this growing legal threat that men could be punished, severely punished, solely based on a woman's testimony.
2: In other words, like, don't trust women. You can't believe what they say. Sure, because for the next, like, 200 years until pretty much second wave feminism comes around, folks assumed rape was about sex and attraction. You know, that no means yes, that it's a crime of passion rather than a crime of power and violence. Yeah, and even though
1: our rape laws at least have evolved, bad rape jokes didn't. Like, they still rely on that myth that rape is just, like, one weird way to have sex with women when we say no but secretly mean yes.
2: LOL, right? Uh. So funny. But, I mean, that brings us back to Cameron,
0: who's on this mission to rewrite the rape joke script. Because of the patriarchal dynamic, um, that has somehow meant that, like, when we talk about comedy, we talk about it as if, like, dude comics— Really want to say rape jokes, and it's just that women are harpies and they won't let them make their great points. And if your reaction is anything other than laughter, it means
2: you're not only not funny, but clearly you can't take a joke, you kill joy. But Cameron acknowledges that she's not the only one who's explored this
0: territory. Somebody like Sarah Silverman, you know, she told jokes that included rape that are like one-linery blue jokes. I think that because she's so, like, talented at—she's just charismatic, she's a good joke writer, and so she can kind of, like, push boundaries there. Then it's sort of ushered in this thing of, like, well, here's mine, well, here's mine, well, here's mine. Now, Caroline, Sarah Silverman didn't just, like, sneak in a rape joke in the
1: middle of her set. This was 2005. Jesus's Magic was her very first stand-up special. And she doesn't just tell a rape joke. She opened with one. I was um, a bedwetter well into my teens and uh, continue to have um, a bevy of, you know, unwanted hairs. And um, I was was raped by a doctor, which is, um, you know, so bittersweet for a Jewish girl. Uh, And it's fascinating because that's 2005. Sarah Silverman today has apologized for that joke. Her rape jokes have evolved to include more of the power and weight that Cameron is talking about. And like Cameron said, it spawned a million imitators. Like, all the comics were like, oh, I guess we can do rape jokes now. Rape, 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 cool. But it's probably safe to say that, like, 98% of them were terrible, but not all of them. Like, that's the thing. We we only remember the rape joke weeds when, in (laughs) fact— There are some flowers in there. I think that's the right botanical metaphor I'm going for. Because a year later, in 2006, we get this gem of a rape joke from Wanda Sykes.
0: You know what makes my life so much easier? Ladies, wouldn't you love this? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our pussies were detachable? (laughs) Let that marinate a little
2: bit. Just think about that if you would just leave
0: your pussy at home sometimes just think of the freedom that you will have you get home from work it's getting a little dark outside you're like oh i would like to go for a jog but it's getting too dark oh i just leave it at home and you <laughs> and you out jogging yeah it could be pitch black you still out there just jogging enjoying yourself you know and some crazy guy jumps out the bush like ah you're like uh I left it at home. Sorry. I have absolutely nothing of value on me. I'm pussyless.
1: Now, we also have to keep in mind the broader context as this comedy is happening— The development of social media really lights this fire underneath rape jokes as a feminist issue. Specifically, in 2012, as some of you listeners might remember, this douchey comedian named Daniel Tosh is doing stand-up, and a woman heckles him about how bad his rape jokes are and then gets up and leaves. And as she's walking out, he said, Wouldn't it be funny if that girl got raped by, like, five guys right now? Like, right now? Well, that woman's friend blogged about the set on Tumblr, and of course the feminist internet was like, that is unacceptable, Daniel Tosh, who calls himself Tosh.0, whatever the fuck that means. To which some male comics like Tosh were like, hey, don't censor me, don't tread on my punchlines,
2: rape jokes are fine. And from there, the internet kind of ate itself. Yeah, but one big reason to keep in mind why feminists got so up in arms about rape jokes at this point— was because through social media and sites like YouTube, we were getting our first early deluge of rape threats from strangers on the internet. So the anger behind women's response to that whole Tosh incident makes perfect sense.
1: Then two years later in 2014, the power dynamics of rape jokes take another massive shift.
2: Yeah, that's when comedian Hannibal Burris made the joke about Bill Cosby that was heard around the world, where he basically pointed out what women had been trying to say for years. The fact that Bill Cosby had raped multiple women. And this really set off this domino effect. And at the Golden Globes in 2015, as we're, like, standing on the precipice of the current Me Too movement, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler took aim— America's Dad.
0: In Into the Woods, Cinderella runs from her prince, Rapunzel is thrown from a tower for her prince, and Sleeping Beauty just thought she was getting coffee with Bill Cosby. You know, actually, I saw this on the news today, but Bill Cosby has finally spoken out about the allegations against him. Cosby admitted to a reporter, I put the pills in the people. The people did not want the
2: pills in them. No, Tina, that, hey, that's not right.
0: That's not right. It's more like I got the pills in the bathroom, but I put them at the people. No, 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 no. You're right. It's, it's got to be like,
2: I put the pills in the hoagie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's fair. That seems fair.
1: Now, Caroline, I remember that moment. I remember Tina and Amy's smoky eyes <laughs> and their cadence and the fact that everyone in that audience looked so unsure as to whether or not it was okay to laugh. Oh, there were lots of open-mouthed gasps and like face covering. Yeah. But the symbolism of it, of these two women really speaking truth to a room full of very powerful people, said a lot about how the narrative of women in comedy had really shifted, that women were starting to take the reins of these jokes. And we're seeing this on stage, we're seeing it in entertainment, and we have this confirmation over and over and over again, like, yes, women can do it, they can be so funny, they can be so edgy, they can be so powerful. We are reclaiming rape jokes, and not only are we reclaiming rape jokes, life is so good that we are about to elect our first president, who is also a female of the United States of America, because it's 2016, and we're just going to assume that Hillary Clinton has got to be president, because we're so progressive, right? I mean, look at the women who are dominating comedy. I mean, we are killing it. But, of course, the problem, the, the sick punchline of this joke, is that we then got a rape joke for a president. i got to use some TikToks just in case they start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything.
0: Whatever you want.
1: Grab them by the pussy. I could do anything.
2: God, just listening to that turns my stomach. I mean, hearing Billy Bush just, like, snickering the whole time. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, clearly, like, this is, you can hear Trump. He's, like, on a roll. He's doing
1: his his locker room shtick of making, making his rape jokes.
2: And Billy Bush is there to laugh. But the thing is, women grabbed that joke and turned it around. They reclaimed it for themselves. I mean, you could see it everywhere you looked at the women's marches. Women, including me, by the way, were sporting shirts and signs that said pussy grabs back, wearing their hot pink pussy hats, whether they had hot pink pussies of their own or not. They were saying, no, Trump, you and your tiny hands are the joke. And there was this element, too,
1: of, like, joyous rage. Caroline, you were at the march in D.C. I was at the march here in Atlanta. And for as angry as all of us were— A lot of the signs were really funny. There were so many good puns, and there was a lot of laughter and just kind of jubilation around exercising all of this pent-up anger, not just at the political situation, but also the rape culture that this man represents. And to me, the way we know that we've reclaimed something in a true way is the Me Too movement. It's the Time's Up movement. Like, we know a rape joke when we hear one, and we're getting fed up with the bad ones. And, and it kind of reminds me, Caroline, of that 18th century backlash, except... It's women who are telling them because they are sick of men not respecting the power that we do have, both legally and just as autonomous human beings. So, Caroline, if we consider the driving question of this episode of whether the Me Too movement is reinventing rape jokes,
0: I think the answer is clearly yes. Because when we talk about assault and harassment, especially in media and television, we often talk about the most extreme examples where it's like a stranger, and they're hooded. It's the opening of SVU, right? And there's just a guy, he's got a cleaver, a bloody cleaver, he's covered head to toe in mud, says Dick Wolf right here. I see that guy, I'm like, Olivia, the fucking guy! You know, I love that show. We all do. It's been on the air for 20 years. That's how committed all of us are to watching and figuring out, tallying up all the different ways it could happen to us. Oh, it could be a clown? Well, now I can't go to the circus. I love that show. I watch that show while I'm at the gym on the treadmill, so I remember what I'm staying in shape for to run away from. And flipping those kinds of power
2: dynamics on their head is the force behind a lot of the comedy that folks like Cameron Esposito are doing right now. You know, they're using rape jokes to subvert the very misogyny that rape jokes have been built on, like you were saying. And for Cameron, all of these politics, you know, Trump's election, Time's Up, Me Too. These were all driving motivations for her to
0: produce this special right now all of the proceeds will go to a rape crisis organization. And part of that is because I am very happy that folks are feeling confident enough to tell these stories and to remove people that have done terrible things from positions of power. Like, that should happen. But it does also feel that we could potentially get stuck in this cycle of, well, so these men are named because it's been men up until this point. These men are named. All the stories come out about them. They are removed from positions of power. And then we act as if that has solved the issue where what happened to me has nothing to do with the, like, eight men whose names we know. And I definitely don't want the conversation to end at those dudes because it was, like, first the stories leaked. Then a bunch of other people came out about it. Then folks started talking about, like, oh, but that's my favorite artist. How terrible for me. And then it looks like we might be at the beginning of um, people rehabbing their images. Like, I'm starting to sort of see a little bit of that, and that just totally, that circle, if that's what happens, that just totally skips survivors. Like, we are never centered, and it doesn't talk about culture. You know, it doesn't talk about a culture that makes the line between assault and sex so hazy that it happens to such a large percentage of people. A person had to tell me. I had to be told the thing that I experienced was was not a normative sexual experience, and I think we should start talking about the ways in which assault and sex are different, and I mean, that's part of why I'm wanting to share my story.
2: When we come back, Cameron shares her advice for telling your truth, taking up space, and thoughtfully responding when survivors tell their stories, including me. Kristen, something Cameron said in describing her Rape Jokes special really stuck with me. Yeah? Um, When she was talking about her college sexual assault experience, she said the guy wanted something from her that she couldn't give him, so he took it. And that really resonated with something that happened to me in college— So I wanted to share my own story with Cameron. I distinctly remember my freshman year of college being so drunk, and uh, there was a guy, and I knew him, and he was, like, one of the cute guys in the dorm, and uh, I had no crush on him, but my uh, friend across the hall sure did. So she was furious when he followed me to my dorm room um, and pushed his way in. And... uh, like, I I thought he was being playful, and I said no, like, however many times a human can possibly say no, but finally it was, like, being worn down, basically. Um, so, like, for years I sort of thought about that, and I never really—I never referred to it as rape or sexual assault or anything, uh, but I was telling a social work friend of mine about this, and she said, you know that's—you were raped, right? And, um— I I still struggle with even framing it that way in my head because of all of the, like, almost stereotypical cliché reasons that women list of, like, well, I, I knew him and, you know, I was wasted and, like, we were kind of flirting and I didn't tell him no that he couldn't come into my room. It's just that when he started to try to have sex with me, I said no like a hundred times and he just didn't really listen. Um, and... Yeah, so your words about uh someone taking something really sort of sat with me and and really resonated with me.
0: Hey, I'm really sorry that happened to you.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. And I'm I'm sorry you had to go through it too. I'm sorry that that any anyone does.
0: You know, since I've been talking about this, a lot of folks have come and told me their stories too, and one thing that I'm trying to start with is really what I just did here was which was say I'm sorry that happened to you because I think one thing that we, we don't even do in our culture is ever have that moment. Like, we start to talk about, like, well, it was or it wasn't, or we start to talk about, like, well, I feel this way because I was cultured this. You know, we start to, like, move away from it and immediately sort of, like, explain it or, or put it in context or remove it from context. We don't even just stop for a moment, just say to each other, hey, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I think, you know, so many, like, there's— I see these conversations happening right now where— um Specifically, men again, because specifically men are the folks that are that are assaulting people. Like historically, that's true. Um, statistically, uh, I see a lot of dudes saying, "Like, well, how do I even know how to behave now? And how how can I have sex with anybody if I don't know like what the boundaries are?" And it's literally like, I don't know if we're even if we even need to get to that part of the conversation yet. We need to talk about that, but for the first time, a lot of people are feeling comfortable telling their stories. This is not a new topic. It's not a new topic in, in comedy. This is not a new occurrence in the world. This has been going on for the entirety of human history. But these folks that are telling their stories, the way you just told your story to me, we have a new opportunity here, which is really just to say to people, just to like live in that for a moment, I'm really sorry that happened to you. So that's where I would like to start. I mean, even the fact that we don't have a better word than survivor, says a lot to me about how often we talk about this. Because, like, Survivor, that's, like, a show (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that takes place on an island and you have to bring, like, one item or whatever. Um, And it also is, like, the same word that we use for folks that beat cancer or that are in remission, people that are just continually harassed and humiliated at work but still have to do their job. Like, what's the word for that, you know? And that is kind of part of this, too. Um, Even if there's never, like, a moment where it... uh, reaches what we would consider assault. I know the word for it is harassment, but what's the word for the person? You know, like, I'm a survivor of harassment. Those kinds of questions that our culture
2: has failed to answer are part of what Cameron's working out for herself through her rape joke set, and also questions the audience will hopefully take with them to start more conversations
0: with folks in their own lives. Like, maybe maybe you're still centering yourself much. If your biggest fear is about you being able to have sex, like maybe before you get there, you should just take a tiny moment and think about the number of people that are impacted by this. Really think about those people and like put a I'm sorry this happened to you out into the world.
1: So in in the context of rape jokes and like rape humor, how does queerness inflect that? Since a lot of it's not only men who are often telling these jokes, but it's often like a very like cis (laughs) sexist point of view um, in those dynamics as well.
0: Well, I think I have something very particular to offer because I am a survivor who has had sex with survivors and I'm also a woman who has had sex with women. And so it's like when I think about who I would want to talk to about this issue. It's, like, young women and also young men. I mean, it really is a lot young men because I have been where they are. <laughs> like, I I understand dudes who are like, I don't even know how to get consent. I'm nervous in the bedroom all the time. Like, I can relate to that. And I want to say, like, you don't know what to do? Okay, well, I don't know what to do, but I might have some knowledge because I— have had multiple experiences because I've had the experience of being assaulted and because I've had the experience of trying to make partners feel safe who had a history of assault also.
1: And so from, from those experiences, what what would you
0: want to share with those hypothetical guys? I really think it's about creating conversation. Asking if something feels good can sometimes be an easier way of accessing consent than asking, is it okay if I have sex with you? You know, what I mean? you know. like, mm-hmm. I think we don't even necessarily give good cues or good information about how to, like, work consent into uh, into sexy sex. Are you saying that question isn't sexy? <laughs> <laughs> can we have, can I, and also, like, can I have sex with you? It's like, no, man, it's like, can we—do you want to, like, does this feel good to you? Like, it, like it's—one of those includes I. One of those includes you.
1: We asked about what you would say to the guys. Also curious, what would you say specifically to younger Cameron if,
0: if you could? Well, I feel that younger Cameron uh, didn't know—couldn't identify for herself— the sexual desires she did have. Like, that's really what was true for me. I mean, I had, like, best friends that I would be having dreams about, and I would just be like, this is nothing, you know? (laughs) It's totally fine if I definitely (laughs) want to leave my boyfriend's house. That's normal. Um, I think that I would ask her to pay attention to herself.
1: As we wrap up, um, I know that we have a lot of listeners who are already huge fans of yours and A, because you are hilarious, um, but also because you are truly unafraid to really speak truth to power through your comedy and because you you do want to make the world a better place through your comedy, and it's pretty self-evident. Um, but speaking up can be very challenging. Um, so do you have advice for... Ladylike listeners who might be nervous about speaking up or sharing their story, whether it's on
0: stage or just to, like, someone in their life. Um, yeah, taking up space is—when when, when you are cultured to not take up space, taking up space is one of the most difficult things to figure out how to do. I mean, I still—you know, you said—I can't remember if you said, like, fearless or unafraid or something like that to do this work. And I will just say, like, I am not totally— you know, I don't I don't like go out and do my job and then go I have no questions about whether or not I'm doing the right thing. I mean, I absolutely feel still shame about taking up space and um about like you said, speaking truth to power, like, I still have shame about that and fear about that, worry about that. I wonder if I'm going to ruin my career. I wonder if I'll be able to continue to work. I wonder if I'll have friends. I wonder if I'm too much, especially when I'm a lesbian. Am I an angry lesbian as a feminist? Am I a killjoy? You know, like, we even know the words for it. We have the the stigma around it. We—maybe acknowledging that as part of the start. So I don't have, like, the answer, I will say that I know that's what you're afraid of. You're afraid of taking up space because people told you that you shouldn't and that you should be embarrassed if you try to and that you're demanding too much and that you are, um, you know, whatever it is, grating, a harpy, shrill, all those words. Like, I know that feeling. Um, And those are words that specifically apply to women. But like, I would also say that to a dude who's a feminist or to somebody who's non-binary that's trying to communicate with folks like, hey, this binary system hurts us all. You know, I would apply this to trans folks who are trying to figure out how to speak to a community that sometimes embraces trans folks and sometimes doesn't, my community, the LGBT community. So I just feel like this can be applied all over the place and know that it's not easy, but you're also not the first person to try to do it. So look for your heroes and look for your role models.
1: So Cameron Esposito... What is your most unladylike quality?
0: Mm. Ooh, well, I mean, wow, that's really tough because, like, what makes a lady? Oh man, My. now we got to start there and break all that <laughs> down. All right, you got another couple hours. Yeah. Uh, oh, like <sighs> I, don't I don't know. Everything I can think of, I'm also like, but that is what a woman does. I'm like, my boot collection. I'm like, but that woman love boots. And I'm like, how good I am at fucking women? I'm like, women are amazing at that. You know, I was like, I just can't think of anything. I think all my qualities are really ladylike. You need to change your perception, the world.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Caroline, oh, man. I honestly wasn't sure if we were going to be able to do a whole episode about rape joke or real. We did it. One of my biggest takeaways as a uh, a non-comedy insider, as an audience member, is not that, hey, feminist comics are reclaiming rape jokes. I don't think that's the case. I think what Cameron Esposito and other comics right now are doing with rape jokes is totally reinventing them.
2: Yeah, because I mean, what would we be reclaiming? Our punchline status? Those old jest books of yore? No, burn them! (laughs) Burn those jest books! And those terrible old victim blamey rape jokes with them. And
1: listeners, we can't wait to hear from y'all. Whether you're more of a comedy audience member like we are or if you're in a comedy community, is it possible, do you think, to reinvent or reclaim the rape joke? Or is the best rape joke the one that's never
2: told? Let us know your thoughts. Y'all can email us at hello at unladylike.co or hit us up on all the socials at unladylikemedia. And don't forget to head over to our site, unladylike.co, where you can pre-order our book that has a whole chapter on dismantling rape culture. And also find all of the sources and resources for this episode, including links to Cameron's rape joke set and where to donate.
1: And in the meantime, folks can watch Take My Wife on...
0: Oh, on Starz Streaming or on iTunes. Thanks for remembering my television show when I which I totally <laughs> forgot to talk about.
1: You're oh, <laughs> welcome. I'm a fan. <laughs> Happy to do it. Abigail Keel is a senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit Macone, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radalit, and special thanks
2: to Sam Kiefer. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. And next week... I, like, conjured this image of just, like, pushing the old ladies off on, like, the ice flow and being like, okay, thank you for your service, and you are no longer useful to us, you know? And, like, fuck that. Like, we're useful always. We talked to two women on that ice floe about menopause. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast app so y'all don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike.
0: You're a real Renaissance woman. I am. I am. I am. And I have like a Renaissance woman's body too, but I just cover <laughs> it up with a lot of jean jackets.
2: <laughs> Stitcher.